0: It's a story that begins at the end of the life of Jesus. He was with his disciples and he told the twelve that he told them the time was coming. He had known that for a while now. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, the Bible says that from that point on the Pharisees decided we're going to kill this guy. And from that point on, every step of Jesus was that step toward that eventuality, that crucifixion, and it's been coming for a while. Jesus has told them he's got to go away, and there's. They said, "Where are you going?" And he said, "You know, if you knew where I was going, you'd come." They said, "We can't know where you're going," and and they had. They had all these things that were very confusing. He said, he told them that uh, you're going to deny me. And Peter says, no, I'll never deny you. I'll die with you. And everyone else says the same. And There were just a lot of confusing things to these people that are going on. But Jesus was not confused. He was very clear minded. Jesus told his disciples, he said, I've got a great desire to eat the Passover with you. And he said, go into town, you'll find a guy there and he's going to take you to a room and you make ready for the Passover. And so Jesus went with his 12 disciples and they went into this room, this upper room and they partook of the Passover feast. Now this, it was a feast Feast of remembrance of when God brought Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And so it was feast of food that was made without leavening. Because when Moses said, hey... You need to get ready. We're leaving tomorrow. You don't have time for your bread to rise. Make it without leavening. And they took a lamb and they would roast the lamb with bitter herbs and they had this bread. And the father would wear, you know, the leader of the home would wear his traveling clothes and his sandals and have his staff. And the children would ask, Father, why are you dressed like this? And they kind of had this thing they went through to to describe how God had saved and delivered Israel from Egyptian bondage. Jesus kept this feast with His disciples, and then after they ate, He took some of that bread, and He passed it around to the guys, and He said, I want you to eat this, because I'm not going to eat this with you again until we do it in my kingdom. And this is my body, which is broken for many for the remission of sins. And they ate the bread, And then he took some of the wine and he gave each one of them some of the wine and he said, I want you to drink this because this is my blood which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Judas left. Jesus had told him, Whatever you do, do it quickly. He told them that someone was going to betray him. Now I would think that everybody would go, Judas! (laughs) But evidently, he wasn't the kind of guy you'd think would betray Jesus because instead of that, what the guys all said was, Lord, is it me? Is it me? They didn't think it was Judas. But he left, went to betray Jesus. Jesus took a cloth and he took a bowl of water and he got down and began to wash the feet of his disciples which was a custom at that time because they wore sandals and their feet were dirty all the time from the sandy roads they walked on. And got to Peter, and Peter said, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, I don't have anything to do with you. He said, well, wash me all the way to my head then, Lord. Completely wash me. Jesus said, no, your feet is enough. And when he finished that, he said, guys, you don't know what I just did. You don't understand it now, but you will. You will. And I want you to treat each other the way I've treated you. And then the Bible says they sang a hymn together. They sang a song, a gospel song. And then they went out. And when they went out, they went to a garden where Jesus commonly went to pray called the Garden of Gethsemane. And when He got there, He left most of the disciples on one side of the road, but He took three of them on into the garden with Him. And they got into the garden, he and these three, and he told them, he said, I want you guys to wait right here, and I want you to pray, and I want you to watch. And then he went just about as far as you could throw a rock, and he knelt down to pray. Now this is where we pick this story up. I want you to look. And, and he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast. And he kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So he bows down and he prays. And he says, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass away, but not, not my will, but your will be done. And the Bible says, there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Do you believe Jesus was under stress at this moment? Tremendous stress. He was sweating blood. He was under such tremendous stress. But God sent an angel to strengthen him. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to the disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. He went back and he prayed again and he said, Oh my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. So he prayed that once and then he came and found the disciples sleeping. He woke them up and then he went back and prayed again. And he prayed the same thing again. You see, when you look at the Bible... This is, to me, an amazing, amazing look into the character and heart of Jesus and the relationship that He had with the Father. You see, our sin problem began in a garden, didn't it? It began when Adam and Eve in a garden committed this sin and took the fruit that God forbid them. And now, here the culmination of human history, all these thousands of years later, In a garden, sin will face its final test, and the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, will submit himself and his prayer in his prayer to the will of his Father who's in heaven. You know, prayer like this, prayer is intentional communication with God. Do you pray? You pray a lot? You pray often? Well, you know, maybe I could pray more. What prayer is, is when I intentionally communicate something to God. Now the reality is, you know this, God already knows everything that happened in your day, doesn't He? I mean, God knows everything. When you communicate with God, when you are speaking to Him through prayer, He speaks to you through His Word, and when you're doing that, you're not delivering information to God as though God didn't know this information. It's not an information exchange when you pray to God. Well, what is it? Well, what it is, is it's a relationship building exercise. You're building a relationship. If you come to God and you go, God, I have had a hard day today. He's not up in heaven going, Oh, really? I didn't know that. Because He knows you had a hard day. He was there every inch, every second, every moment of those things. You know, God is never surprised at what you tell Him. He knows. When you pray, what you're doing is you are coming before God either with joy or with sorrow or with normal everyday things. But you're communicating with Him. You're telling Him what's on your heart. He said, cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. Many years ago, when my oldest daughter Jordan was 15, One of her very best friends was killed in a freak accident. That was a very traumatic day for us, for our family. It was very traumatic for Jordan. This close friend of hers broke her heart. And she cried. And she came to me. And she climbed up in my lap. And she wept for her friend. Now, she wasn't asking me to raise him from the dead. She knew I couldn't do that. She wasn't asking me to fix it or make it okay. She knew I couldn't do that. But she was sharing the brokenness of her heart with her father. You see, that's the idea. The idea is not, I've always got something that I want him to help me with. I've got something that I want to communicate to him. But it's that relationship. She didn't go over to the next door neighbor and climb up in his lap and tell him. Because he's not dead. They didn't have that relationship. But you know, she had that relationship with me. And that's the idea here. You've got Jesus Christ coming to His Father. Think what He's about to face. And He's broken hearted. And He's afraid. And He's troubled. And and He comes to talk to His Father about what's going on. I want to share with you a couple of things about prayer. Number one, prayer reveals who you really are. Because you see, normally prayer is something that you pray privately. Now, Jesus did talk to the Pharisees who loved to stand and and pray with fancy words and they loved to have everyone notice their prayers and all. But I'm thinking here about personal prayer like Jesus was praying. Do you remember the last prayer you said? Think just for a moment. Think back. What was the last prayer you said to God? What did you pray for? What did you pray about? Was it a prayer of thanksgiving? Was it a prayer for health? Now I know we've prayed for the health of some people since we've been here tonight. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your personal prayer. What do you pray for? You know, that reveals who you really are. You stop and think about the things you pray for. Are you always praying for safety and health? Really? Really? Why? You'd already know you're not getting out of this world alive. You already know that we have to die to receive the reward. Now I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for health and safety. But is that really the most important thing to you? If it is, you know, we used to sing a song years ago. Maybe you all still sing it here. I'd like to stay here longer than man's allotted days. Not me. This is not near as good as Paul said, I'm, I'm torn. He said, I know you need me here, but I'd rather go be with the Lord. What you pray about reveals your heart. Do you pray for finances? You pray for your job, for money? Lord, just make, you know, I, I know we stepped out on a limb here, so we're counting on you to come through for us. Is that what you pray for? Do you pray for spiritual things? When's the last time you prayed for the soul of someone? Someone that you know. Someone that you love. You prayed for their salvation. You prayed for an opportunity to get just a chance to talk to them about Jesus. And for that, for you to have the right words and, and the ability to communicate that blessed truth to them. What do you pray for? I believe prayer reveals tremendously who we really are. Another thing that you need to know about prayer is that God answers prayer. God does answer prayer. He answers prayer always. Now, I will tell you sometimes His answer is yes, and sometimes His answer is no, and sometimes His answer is later. But God answers prayer. I've known people who didn't pray because they said it doesn't make any difference. Nothing ever happens when I pray. God answers prayer. But He doesn't always answer prayer the way we think He's going to answer prayer. You see, that's a problem. Years ago, when I was a, a young man in church work, I was involved in in a church and there was a serious, serious problem in this church. And the church was splitting and and I didn't know what to do. I mean, I was a young man, I was a young preacher, and I was doing my best. I really wasn't. I was trying. And I would, and I didn't know what to what to pray for, and I didn't know how to fix the problem. And but I did know James. And James said, if you lack wisdom, ask of God, because he gives liberally to all men. And I said, God, give me wisdom. I need wisdom. And I said that prayer over and over and over. Over. And I thought, I really believed that he would do that. And I really believed that one day I'd pull up in somebody's driveway dealing with this problem and I'd go, that's what I ought to do. And it would just strike me and I would just know. It didn't happen. I never got that. So, you know what I did? I called my dad, and I said, Dad, I I need some counsel. I need some advice. I called Joe Richardson. I said, Joe, help me out here. I, I don't know exactly what to do about this. I called Tex Monk. I called a bunch of different people, men who were wise in God's Word, and I got counsel. I got direction. I got advice. And I want you to know it was hard. It was very some of the worst days of my life trying to deal with that. Do you know what we did? We did what God told us to do. And we dealt with that problem in a way that honored God. And He blessed us. But I wondered. It bothered me. I thought, you know, God, I trusted You to give me wisdom. I trusted You when I asked. And I thought it would happen. And I just, I thought on that. And I thought on that. And then one day it hit me. He did answer that prayer. He he just didn't answer it the way I expected. You know how He answered it? He surrounded me with wise counselors. That's what He did. And that's the way He answered that prayer. And I went on thinking that He didn't answer the prayer because it wasn't the way I expected it to be answered. You see, God does answer prayer. It's not always going to be in the way our preconceived notion is. God answered Jesus' prayer here, didn't He? You know what God told him? No. I'm not going to let this cup pass. There's not a different way. But God always answers prayer. The third thing about this is that I believe prayer has the ability to change you. It has the ability to change the kind of person that you are. You see, in this scenario, we've got Jesus and His will and God's will and there's this struggle. I mean, think about how amazing this is. You've got the Father and the Son. Both two beings in the Godhead, right? And the Son comes to the Father and He says, about this issue right here, Father, my will is not the same as yours. You ever thought about that? That the Father and Son had different wills? He said, Father, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Your will be done. You know, the context of this is that of the Trinity having this private conversation among themselves about this ultimate sacrifice that's about to be paid. And I want us to take a moment and just listen in on this conversation as they have this conversation and see what we can learn from it. Number one, he says, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me, or take this cup away from me. If you read your Bible, and I've looked, and maybe somebody can correct me about this, but I don't find Anyone in the rest of the Bible up to this point that talks about God as their father in this personal way. Now, Israel talked about God as the father of the nation of Israel, but Moses didn't go to God and say, Father. Abraham didn't go to God and say, Father. Jesus is the very first one we read of in history that had this personal relationship with God, where He went to him and called him Father in this personal sense, you see. Sometimes we struggle because we focus in our prayers on praying instead of focusing on the relationship. You know, when Jordan crawled up in my lap to cry about her best friend dying, She didn't, before she crawled up in my lap, think about, now how should I word this to my dad about... She didn't think about that. Because that cry wasn't about the words. It was about the relationship. It was about her pouring out her heart to me and her looking for the comfort that I as her father would provide. It was that relationship, you see, that we had that drove that. You know... I've got a son, Jacob, and he is not as communicative as my daughters, okay? They go off for a few days and they're going to call mom six times a day. Every, every. Jacob, we, we, he went to Nigeria with me. He was with me every day for three weeks. He got home. He said, I'm going to go see my girlfriend. Bye. I hadn't heard from him since. Because it, it, just, he's just different that way, you know? I was kind of that way. But you know, when he comes in, in the evening, I love for him to come in and go, Hey, Dad, guess what happened today? Now, I may not care whatever it is he's talking about. It may not make me any difference whether some friend of his almost had a car wreck and he didn't, or they went to Sonic and guess who was there? You know, it was this guy he used to go to school with. Or You know, I don't care about that stuff. But I love that he wants to talk, tell me I love that He wants to talk to me. I love that He wants to share that relationship with me. No relationship can exist if there's not communication. It can't exist, can it? I mean, can you imagine a husband and a wife that just never speak to one another? There can't be a relationship that way. And so when when Jesus comes to His Father here, He's coming on the basis of this relationship that he has with his dad. And he tells him, Father, I want to talk to you about something. I want to tell you this. You know, the Bible tells us that his father sent him an angel to strengthen and to comfort him. Why do you think that happened? why do you think God sent him an angel? Say, well, God was wanting to comfort him. That's right. But didn't he have his disciples to comfort him? Well, you remember what the disciples are doing? They're sleeping. I know that there are some, probably some here tonight, who've been failed by God's people when they've asked for prayer. I know some people have asked for prayer and they've People just haven't prayed for him faithfully. They just haven't done it. I know people who've been angry and bitter because they asked for prayer and maybe somebody forgot to mention their name when they were saying the prayer at church or, or things like that. You know, Jesus was failed by people, but he wasn't failed by his Father. And when we pray, when we relate to God, that relationship is not on the basis of the elders of the church or our family or our friends or the other members of the church. But I do want to say this about this. Don't fail people in prayer. If somebody asks you to pray for them, if somebody talks to you and shares a burden or a heartache with you, pray for them. One of the things that I never did when I was younger doing church work and I've I've run across several people who do that. I've noticed David does this, Every, every person we go visit before he leaves, he says, Hey, can we have a prayer with you? Can we pray with you? You know, there's value in that, there's benefit in that, there's blessing in that. Because we are entering that relationship with the Father and we're bringing them into it. And we're saying, Hey, come here. Let's talk to my dad. Let's talk to my father in heaven about this. About whatever it is. Now we'd always pray if somebody was in the hospital. But I'm talking about any time. Don't fail people in that. God took care though of his son Jesus Christ when he was failed by his brothers here on this earth. And then he says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. You know, they're having this intimate, painful, heartfelt, devastating conversation. Jesus is saying, Father, the day's finally here. I know we planned it before the foundation of the world. But they're on their way to get me now. I mean, Judas is gone. He's already talked to them. They're headed here now, Father. And they're going to take me. And they're going to beat me. They're going to scourge me. They're going to put thorns on my head. And they're going to pound those thorns in with a rod. They're going to spit on me. And they're going to lie about me. And they're going to make a public humiliation of me in front of the world. And then they're going to kill me, Father. And I'm not saying I'm unwilling. I'm not saying I'm unwilling, Father, but, but before we get into this, just this one last time, Is there any other way? Is there anything else we can do? Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. You know, the Bible uses words to describe Jesus at this moment. Let me show you what some of these words are. The Bible uses the word agony. Have you ever been in agony? I remember growing up, they always on Sundays had the the agony of defeat, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. You remember that on before the sports games and they'd show somebody wrecking and you know on their skis and being really hurt? The agony of defeat. Have you ever been in agony? It's not always physical agony, is it? Sometimes it's emotional agony. Jesus Christ was in agony. The Bible says he was deeply distressed. And that at this moment, when he was talking to his father, he spoke to his father with vehement cries and tears. You know, vehement means passionate. He wasn't just going, Okay, Father, if this is Your will... It wasn't like that. He was, he was crying to his father. This is not going to be easy, father. There's no great theological reasoning going on here. There's just agony and distress of a son going to dad and saying, do we really, really have to do this? This is why he couldn't sleep. This is why his mind is racing and his heart is racing. Have you ever had a moment like that? The moment when you hear the news and you go, "Oh no." You remember how your heart raced and, and and you just thought and it just consumed every thought of you and this can't be happening. This can't be real. Is it? I remember it. I was in the car on the way to my parents' house. And my daughter was sitting right behind me. And at the time she was dating Jacob Springer. And she said, Dad, they think Justin has cancer. Justin was about my best friend in the world. And I grabbed my phone and I called and I said, hey, what's going on? And he was laying in his hospital bed and he said, the doctors are still in here and they're telling me I've got cancer, pancreatic cancer. You know, I thought I had pretty good control over my mind. I couldn't think about anything else for days. I'd wake up in the night thinking about that. You know the agony? You know what that's like? That's Jesus at this moment. It's coming and there's no way out and there's nothing that we can do. Father, I just want to talk to you one more time. I don't know that I can get through this. I know it's your will and I'm not going to fight, but I'm devastated. It's breaking me. Is there any other way that we can do this? He says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. I originally called this sermon the Agony of Submissive Prayer. Because what Jesus is doing right here is he is coming to his Father and he's saying, I will bend my will to yours. It's not what I want but I will bend my will to yours. If there's another way, I want the other way. But if there's not, I will do what you have. Do you know what that's like to say to God, I want this so bad, but what I want more is whatever you want. You see, that's what he's saying. My greatest will is to do your will instead of my will. You understand what that's like, what he's saying there? And it's not about what I want. I've been told in the past, a lady that was very honest with me, she said, it's not that I don't trust God to do the best thing, I just don't trust Him to do what I want. <laughs> that's honest, isn't it? That's the truth. And this is Jesus at this moment with His Father, and He is bowing down here and He's saying, Father, I don't want to do this, but if that's the way it's got to be, then my will will be your will. And we're going to go forward together with this. And we're going to shed tears. But it's going to happen because it's your will and my greatest will is to do what is your will. You see, that's perfect submission. Perfect submission doesn't mean I'm going to like it. Perfect submission means I'm committed to it, and it's going to happen. Whatever God said is the right thing. Whatever He says in His Word, I may not like it. It may alienate me from my family and my friends. I may lose my job or even my life, but God said it and I am submitted to it. That's just the way it is. Have you seen the bumper sticker that says, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it? Well, God said it and that settles it, period. Whether I believe it or not. But perfect submission is, if He said it, I believe it. So here you have this cup. I found this picture of this cup. And I thought it was very, very, I don't know, appropriate for this. Because Jesus is going to have to take this cup and it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt terrible. It's going to be suffering. You know, sometimes we say, we just want to know. Just let me know. The hardest part's not knowing. Knowing didn't help Jesus, He knew, and that did not help Him one bit. You know, knowing isn't a solution. I imagine, as I look at this, a father and a son sitting down at a table, and here sits the cup in the middle of the table. And the son says, Dad, I, I know we agreed that I'd drink this. I know we agreed I'd take it. But I, is there anything else? I don't, I don't want to do it. Father. And the father sits there and he just slides the cup across the table. He says, No, son, there's no other way. There's nothing else we can do. If we want to save them, you don't have to drink them, but if we're going to save them, this is the only way. You've got to do it. Have you wondered why that cup was so hard for Jesus? I mean, a lot of people have died horrible deaths. The cup is something that's talked about all through the Bible. Let me show you some of the ways the prophets describe this cup. They call it the cup of horror and desolation. That's what Ezekiel called it. Isaiah called it the cup of his wrath. The cup of trembling. Jeremiah called it the cup of fury. And what it is, is every sin that's ever been committed, every one of those sins, there goes a drop of God's wrath in that cup. And the next sin, a drop of God's wrath in that cup. And every sin you ever committed, a drop of His wrath goes in that cup. And every sin all of us here have ever committed, each sin is a drop of wrath in that cup. And the sins of the whole world. And Jesus Christ has to reach out and take that cup of horror and desolation of wrath and fury. And He's got to drink it in payment for It's no wonder that He sweat drops of blood. It's no wonder that He begged His Father, no. But you know what? The wonderful joy of this story is that Jesus Christ drank that cup. He took it. He drank that cup. When His Father said, You have to do that. He did it. He did it to the point that in a few minutes, he's going to tell Peter, put away your sword. He's going to stand there while all of his friends run and leave him. But he knows where he's going now. He's going to stand in front of that Sanhedrin council while they hire people to lie about him. And he's not going to open his mouth. He's going to stand there when the the high priest says, you tell us, are you the Son of God? And he's going to say, yes, I am. And he's going to stand in front of Pilate. And Pilate's going to say, Don't you know I could let you go? And he says, You have no power against me, except my father gave it to you. He said, Are you the king? And he said, Yes, but my kingdom's not of this earth. He's going to stand in front of Herod, who wants him to do a miracle. Just walk across my swimming pool, and I'll let you go, Jesus. And he's not going to say one word in his defense. And he's going to be taken and beaten. They're going to put a crown of thorns on his head and pound on it. Somebody's going to slap him upside the head and spit on him and say, if you're the Messiah, tell us who hit you. And he knows how many hairs are on that guy's head. And he doesn't say a word. Why? Perfect submission. Not my will, but your will. Not what I want, what you want. And he's going to die. He's going to hang on that tree. He's going to drink that cup. Of sacrifice and of pain and wrath and fury. The Bible tells us in Hebrews. says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears, to him who was able to save him from death, And he was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. You see, Jesus Christ shared that greater will, that will of his Father, that overrode his will. I want you to know when when you face trouble in this life, God will not ask you to die for the sins of the world. Jesus already did that. But He may ask you to do some really hard stuff. He may. You may have some real terrible dark storm clouds ahead in your life. What are you going to do? Not my will, but yours be done. You know, when I go to Nigeria, I mentioned this earlier this week. I want to come home safe, but not my will, but His. That's what I want, right? Not my will, but Yours. As hard as that may be, as tough, as painful, as devastating as it may be, not my will, but Yours. I struggled with that when Justin died. Personally, I did. I said, God, He's a great servant of Yours. I mean, he's out here teaching the gospel and going all over the world. Why let him die? It was hard. Not my will, but yours. You're God. And perfect submission always humbles my will to the will of the Father. It will never defy that. It will never respond to that in a way that's anything but submission. Not my will, but yours be done. I want to tell you this sermon. My purpose has been to ask you to have that heart. That heart that you say, I don't, I don't care what I want anymore. I want what you want. I've got my desires, but I want what you want. And I'm going to live my life with whatever you want. I'm going to do it no matter what the cost, no matter the pain, no matter what it is. I want what you want. And I believe that's the relationship that God's children seek to have with Him. And so I'm coming to you tonight to ask you this Do you want what God wants? Do you want it more than anything you want? He wants you to believe in His Son. He wants you to confess that. He wants you to give your life to Him and He wants you to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. He plainly says that. Do you want what He wants? As your Christian walk comes, are you willing to say, okay, Father, they're my children and I love them, but they're yours and I want what you want. Okay, Father, it's my spouse, my husband or my wife. I want them, but but I want what you want. Father, it's my health. <laughs> Nothing gets me like my health. But you know what? I want what You want. No, no ifs, ands, or buts. No marked off areas. No qualifications. Just that humble, I want what You want. And I want to ask you in your life, you need to pray that Prayer. And it doesn't need to just be words at the end of a sentence. Nevertheless, not our will, but thine be done. It needs to be, I want what you want.